0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. We are studying through the book of Galatians. The title of the series, Free Indeed, How to Employ and Enjoy your freedom in Christ, how to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ. Now, this morning, and then again this evening, because this message uh, has more than just a few points, seven as a matter of fact, I'm gonna be preaching on this subject, your experience with Christ. Your experience with Christ. Now, the apostle Paul, as he seeks to establish with the Christians in the churches of Galatia, his credentials shares with them his experience in Christ. So with your Bible open, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 11. And here are the words that God's Spirit spoke through the Apostle Paul. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation. Now, the word there literally means my lifestyle, not simply speech, but my lifestyle. You've heard of my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But... When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years... I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. I abode with him 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none except for James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecutes us in times past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed, and they glorified God in me. This morning's message, and again this evening, your experience with Christ. Let's bow our heart before the Lord. Father, in these next few moments, our earnest desire is to worship you. Our hearts go out to you in praise and adoration and exaltation. At the same time, Father, we know that you have a word for us, whoever we are. As we are here this morning, we want to hear from you. Father, we trust that your Holy Spirit will speak to our heart. We are trusting that our lives will be changed by your grace. We are trusting that Christ will be lifted up and that you will give us a moment of decision. And Father, I pray that our lives will never be the same because we have been here this morning. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will capture by your Spirit new territory in our lives and you'll find us surrendering gladly to you and to the Lordship of Christ. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that at invitation time that many people would say yes to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. You know, one of the things that I find myself so often doing is sharing my faith with others while riding along in an airplane, it seems as that that's a good time. You have a captive audience. Where are they going to go? They can't say, "Excuse me, my neighbors just come to the door." Telephone doesn't ring up there on the airplane, and uh, the people in front of you and behind you can't hear you very well because of the roar of those jet engines. And so, I found that an airplane is a is a wonderful place to share your faith. I remember. Some time ago, we were taking off in a terrible thunderstorm, and there was a lady seated next to me, and she, was, she had her eyes closed, and her, her hands were gripping the seat, uh, armrest. And I just said, Lord, w- would you give me some way of, of sharing with her? And, and I'll never forget when we finally leveled out after going through this terrible thunderstorm and lightning storm, she turned to me and, and I suppose this is the most unusual question I've ever been asked. She said, have you ever had lightning strike your waterbed?" Where do you go with that question? I did have the privilege of sharing my faith with her and uh, but I didn't have a water bed so I really had a hard time identifying with her experience. Now, <clears throat> not long ago, So I was seated on the airplane. I asked a man next to me about his experience in Christ. First, I I asked him this question, do you think about spiritual things very much? And he said, well, not a whole lot. He said, I'm a very practical kind of man. I said, well, uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with Christ. Now, there are a lot of ways you can broach this conversation. Uh, You can ask the questions that we ask and teach people to ask in Evangelism Explosion. Do you have the confidence if you die today you'd spend your forever in heaven with God? And if they say yes, then ask them this question. Well, suppose you did die and you're standing before the gate of heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? How will you answer him? And that's a great question because you can discover right off whether they have trusted in Christ as their Savior or whether they're depending on their good works or their religion or their church membership or the fact they're better than most Christians they know for eternal life. Sometimes I ask the question, well, uh, have you ever made the wonderful discovery of knowing Jesus in a personal way for yourself, or would you say you're still in the process? Because uh, you see, most times people who do not know Christ will say, I'm in the process, and of course, then you're doing them a favor by saying, my, you're such an open-minded person and you're in the process, let me help you with some things that that have been of help and encouragement to me. But this time I ask the question, you know, do you think about spiritual things, and would you tell me about your experience with Christ? His response to me was, well, I've always been a Christian. That's very interesting because, you see, no one has always been a Christian except Christ. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that there is none righteous, no, not even one. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, well, would you explain what you mean by the statement, you've always been a Christian? He said, well, I've just always gone to church. And then he followed it up with this one. He said, I suppose that that's what you're asking. He said, I am a Christian because I've always gone to church and I I believe the things that the church believes. Well, unfortunately, That's not exactly what's involved in becoming Christians. Good to go to church. I'm glad he always went to church. It gave us some common language that we could use. But you see, there are a lot of people who've been to church all of their life who've who've had no experience with Christ. And I'm speaking there about a personal saving experience. That moment when you transfer your trust to Christ and when upon repenting of your sins and with your faith in Christ... You are cleansed of your sin, you receive eternal life, he becomes the Lord of your life and you know you'll spend your forever with him. Well, he had never had that kind of experience with Christ. Now, I know that the Christian life is a life to be lived, but I want to ask you this morning about your experience with Christ. You see, the apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Christians in Galatia, realized that there was something he needed to establish with them, and that was that he had had a deep personal experience with Christ and the reason he was going to write to them in such stern language, rebuking them for their strict adherence to the law as a means of salvation as opposed to grace. He knew that he was going to have to establish his credentials with them, and so we find him as we often find him in chapter one, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament are written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and in most of them, he shares something about his experience with Christ. Now, in these two services, I'm going to suggest to you, no, as a matter of fact, I'm going to speak dogmatically to you about those things characteristics which ought to be evident in your experience with Christ if you are truly born into the family of God if you can say truly my sins have been forgiven Christ is in my heart forever if I died I'd go to heaven but in the meantime he is Lord of my life these should be the characteristics of your experience with Christ and so I'm going to ask you to do exactly what the Scripture says to do. It says to examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Prove yourself, and by the way, those are two words. One word, examine, means to pierce, to cut right down to the heart, to see if you're as hot on the inside as you are on the outside. The other, prove, means to prove yourself by testing, just as you would go down, for instance, and take a driving test, to prove by testing. And so, examine yourself prove yourself as we look at these characteristics which should be evident in your life if you have had a genuine experience with Christ. So with your Bible open to Galatians chapter 1, we're simply going to go through this passage sequentially, verse by verse, and look at these characteristics. First of all, let me just say that your experience with Christ should be something you are eager to share with others. Let me say it again. Your experience with Christ should be something you are eager to share with others. Look with me at verse 11. I certify you," he says, "I'm telling the truth now, brothers, that the gospel which was preached of me, in other words, that good news which I so eagerly shared with you, is not after man. I want to talk to you about my, my sharing, my gospel, my story. And I want to tell you, I didn't get it from man, but I was eager to share it with you. Now, if you've had an experience with Christ, you should be eager to share that experience with other people. The truth of the matter is I don't believe there is much validity to an experience which you are not eager to share. At the close of many of our services at invitation time, and we may well do this this morning, I often ask people who are in the congregation to turn to someone close to them and just share their experience with christ sometimes they even tell them what they should say if they can say it honestly it ought to go some, ought to be something like this i know that christ is alive in me do you now i've always been interested in noticing that even though i ask the entire congregation to do that i'll say people at the back people in the choir people on the sides people up here on the platform find somebody share that ask that question i've always noticed that there are some people who are reluctant to do it, they are hesitant to do it, and many times there are people who will tell you right off the bat, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you see, the truth of the matter is they know that not only is the person to whom they're speaking, listening to what they say, they know that God hears what their heart is saying. And I wouldn't give you a dime, not even 25 cents would I give you for the testimony of a person if they were not eager to share that testimony with other people, if they'd say, well, that's just private, that's just personal, we're not supposed to tell anybody about that, you're not supposed to brag about your faith. Listen, friend, there's nothing in the Scripture that says that you're not supposed to give your life sharing your faith with other people. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer in Christ, the only thing that you can do on earth better than you will be able to do it in heaven is to share your faith with people who do not know Jesus. There will not be people like that in heaven. You'll sing better in heaven. You'll praise the Lord better in heaven. You'll serve the Lord better in heaven. You'll worship the Lord better than hev- in heaven. You're, you, you'll not get sick in heaven. You'll not be sad in heaven. But there's one thing you'll never do once you go to heaven, and that is share your faith with a person who does not know Jesus. And so the first characteristic of your experience with Christ should be that, like the Apostle Paul, you are eager to share it. The Apostle Paul put everything aside. He gave himself to sharing his faith with others. My grandmother was a great person for sharing her faith. I think I mentioned to some people not, uh, uh, well, maybe about a year or so ago that, that she, and, and as much as I can remember, she turned every conversation to Jesus. It didn't make a difference what you were talking about. She would just steer that to the Lord Jesus. In our family, we laugh about an experience some years ago when she and my grandfather were living in Fort Ice, Arkansas. Now, that's down on the, in the south-central part of Arkansas on the Cotton Belt Railroad. And their house was about two blocks away from the railroad tracks. And... Back some years ago, a whole lot more than they, these men would ride the rails, these hobos, you know, and they would, they would ride the rails, and they'd get off just on the outskirts of town, and they'd come into the, the houses like theirs, which was out sort of on the edge of town, and uh, <clears throat> they, they'd just bum food. Now, my grandmother was a, was a true southern lady, but she always shared the gospel. She shared it with, she'd share it with a, a fire hydrant. She'd share it with a tree. I mean, she just loved to talk about Jesus. And this man came to the door of her house, walked up on the porch there, and knocked on the door. And, and um, she went to the door, and she recognized right off the bat it's the guy who was panhandling, he wanted some food. And uh, she said, just a second, I'll go back to the kitchen and get you something. And uh, at the kitchen, she decided that, that she ought to ask him to come around to the back door if he was going to eat. And, and so she stopped making the sandwich that she was making, and she walked back through the living room to the front door. And as she approached the screen door... She just she just overcome with a desire to witness to him, she said, Are you prepared to meet the Lord? And this guy's got his big guy's eyes got as big as saucers. He jumped over the banister and the hedge and ran across her lawn and down the street. She never saw him again. And she thought, that is strange behavior until she looked down and the, the knife that she had in her hand was dripping with strawberry jam. No wonder the guy ran when she said, are you prepared to meet the Lord? This crazed woman was coming through the screen at it. The greatest joy I have in this world is the joy of sharing Jesus. I tell you, until I die, I'm going to run for Jesus. And if I get to the point where I can't run for Jesus, well, I will walk for Jesus. And if I can't walk for Jesus, I'll crawl for him. And if I can't crawl for him, I'll scoot for him. And if I get where I can't scoot, put me in a wheelchair, and I will roll for him. And if if I get to the point where I have to go to the hospital, I'll roll over in bed and share Jesus with my roommate. And if I can't roll over, I will look up at the doctors and nurses and tell them about Jesus. Jesus, and when I come to that point where I die, I want to die saying, let me tell you about, and I want to enter heaven saying, Jesus, I was just telling them about you. I mean, I love to share my faith with other people. And I believe if you have had a genuine experience with Christ, instead of saying, well, you know, we're not just supposed to share like that, we're not supposed to be bold, we're not supposed to offend people. Listen, don't be so afraid you're going to offend someone that you never challenge them and that you never confront them with the fact that every one of us has an eternal destiny, and a million, billion years from now, everybody in this room and on this globe is gonna be either in heaven or hell. So if you have had a genuine experience with Christ, it should be something you are eager to share with others. Notice the second characteristic. It should be your experience with Christ and not your experience with somebody else. All right? It ought to be your experience with Christ and not an experience you had with someone else. Look at verse 12. For I neither received it of man. He said, This whole thing didn't come from man. I didn't receive it of man. I wasn't even taught it by man, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, What I know, I know because of a personal experience with Christ. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul went off and spent time asking God's Holy Spirit to be his teacher. He said, I'm telling you about an experience I had with Christ. You say, Brother Tom, you talk about your experience with Christ. Of course, my experience with Christ was an experience with Christ. Was it really? You know, I've discovered there are many people who've had Christian experiences and church experiences, but their experience wasn't with Christ. As a matter of fact, I know of many people who toss and turn sometimes at night, wondering whether they're really saved. And the problem is that they can remember everything about that experience except meeting Jesus. You know, said, But the preacher said this, and, and I'm not sure I said it just like the preacher said it. And, and, and they, they quote those words I, I'm not sure I really repented, and I'm not sure I just really had enough faith. And, or I remember what that teacher said to me, or I I remember what my friend said when we we all went forward and made a decision. You see, they remember everything about it, but they just don't remember meeting Jesus. A few months ago, we were over in Israel, and I've laughed about this. I tell you, I I bet I've laughed about it two dozen times. We were standing up there in the the hotel and and looking down on a, a wedding. It was a... It was a wedding, uh, it was a, uh, a, uh, a Muslim wedding party. And the courtyard of this hotel was just packed with people and there was a band and there was, there was all kinds of stuff going on. And there was the bride and the groom and, and everybody danced with everybody else. I mean, the groom danced with the bridesmaids and the bride danced with the groomsmen and the parents danced and the other people. But, but I kept noticing Joe Cox, Joe wasn't watching the wedding. He had his eye on this huge cake. We were, we were standing up looking through the glass down at this courtyard. You could hear this raucous music. Joe was totally oblivious to the whole thing. He had his eyes glued to the biggest cake that we have ever seen in our life. a huge cake. And I noticed after a while that Joe, Joe had, had left us and gone down the stairs, and I looked down below through the glass, and he was standing down there about 10 or 15 feet from that cake. And he just had his eyes on that cake. Well, not to be outdone. I thought he needed some supervision. And so I went down and joined him. Mel, I think maybe you were down there, you and Shirley. We went down there to that cake. And we were just, you know, we were just admiring the cake. Not that we wanted any, of course, but we just, it was, wasn't our wedding. I mean, we were not invited guests. But, but when they did come ask us if we would like some cake, you know, they said, you know, with your tongues hanging out and saliva running down your mouth like that, we, you, you probably could stand something. Would you like some cake? And so. But Joe came back and he had this cake. It was made of about 12 or 13 14 different layers of delicious, I don't know what it was, but it really was good because I had a piece of it myself and and our, our wives had some cake and 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 uh, they asked us if we'd like to participate in the wedding and and, and we said no, but we did enjoy the cake and and some coffee in the coffee grounds that were in the bottom of the cup that we didn't have sense not to drink either. And so we, we had the cake and we had the coffee, and it was really great. We went back to the room, and, and it occurred to me, you know, I was at that party, but I never met the bride and groom. Now, I met their cake, but I never met the bride and groom. Now, there are people, some of you are here this morning. You're at the party, folks. You are here. And you have done so many things. You've admired things about the way you've been a part of that. And there may have been times when somebody said, Would you say these words? Or would you do this? Or would you pray this prayer? And you have had church experiences. You've had Christian experiences. But you see, your experience with Christ has got to be not the experience that you had with a lot of other people or did because somebody said something, but it ought to be your experience with Christ. Do you understand? And so the apostle Paul said, "'Let me tell you about my personal experience.'" And the reason many people question their salvation is because they've never really had an experience with Christ, and they're not saved. They've had an experience with church, and they sometimes are literally tormented because they remember words that were said by a preacher or by a friend, and they wonder if they really complied like they should have. Listen, when you have your experience with Christ, you know that you understand him, you know that he understands you, you give yourself to him, he gives himself to you, you have an experience with Christ. And so it ought to be your experience with Christ, not your experience with someone else. All right, here's the third characteristic. Your experience with Christ should mark a definite change in your behavior. Your experience in Christ should mark a definite, a distinct change in your behavior. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul says here in verses 13 and 14. He said, Now, look, you know my life the way it used to be, for you've heard of my lifestyle or my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. Now, just keep your finger there in that passage for a moment. Let's look at all of the the Apostle Paul's religious credentials. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's two books to your right. Philippians chapter 3. I'm gonna begin reading with verse 4. Philippians 3, verse 4. Now, here the Apostle Paul says, if anybody has credentials, I have got credentials. Verse 4, "'Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, "'if any other man thinks that he has whereof, "'he might trust in the flesh, I more.'" Listen, he said, "'I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. "'Not only that, he said, "'I was from the tribe of Benjamin.'" I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a member of that select group, the Pharisees. Concerning concerning zeal, I outdid them all. I persecuted the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, I was absolutely blameless. But he said, there came a time in my life when those things that were gained for me, I counted, and the word there is done. I counted refuge. I counted loss for Christ. There came a moment, the Apostle Paul said, that marked a distinct change in my behavior. You've heard of my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion. How beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. I wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above my equals and above many of my equals in my own nation. I was more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Nobody could outdo me, the Apostle Paul says. But there came a moment when my life was transformed. Now look this way. I want to see the whites of your eyes. Friend, Jesus revolutionizes the life of any person he enters. The worst mistake you could ever make is to say to someone, you call a friend, look, if you'll trust in Jesus, he'll take you to heaven, but don't expect any overnight changes. Now, where did you get that? Why can't you expect some overnight changes? You have been born again. The Bible says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have met the King of kings. You have met the Lord of lords you have met the creator and the sustainer of the universe you have met the one who is perfect and yet died you have met the one who died and yet rose again you have met the one who rose again walked on this earth and ascended to heaven you have met the one who is coming again for his church the bride you have met the one who will rule and reign forever and ever throughout all eternity who said you can't expect any overnight changes If he is not good enough for overnight changes, friend, he is not good enough to save you. You said, Brother Tom, do you mean that believers in Christ don't struggle with sin? Sure, they struggle with sin. But I'll tell you this, sin is never the same to a person once Christ enters their heart. If you don't believe that, you read 1 John chapter 3, verses six through nine, and it will tell you that you will not be able to keep on committing the same old kinds of sins in the same old way, with the same old attitude and the same old kind of heart and the same old love for them, because his seed is within you, it remains within you, and you can't do it if you are truly born again. And those are the words words of the Scripture, not the words of Tom Ellis. When Christ enters your life, you ought to expect, you ought to anticipate there will be a marked difference in your behavior. Have you ever noticed that the, uh, the words the Scripture uses to describe salvation are always, it, they're never gradual words. They are always words which have some kind of sort of a, a cataclysmic moment in them. Notice, for instance, birth, it is as startling as birth. Adoption, it is as special as adoption. Marriage, it is as specific as marriage a moment when you're mar- not married, and a moment later when you are married because you've said, I do to one another. And so your salvation experience, your experience with Christ ought to mark a change in your behavior. One of the most disturbing groups of people in the world to me are those who laughingly say, yeah, a long time ago I prayed a prayer, but I guess, (laughs) preacher, I'm just one of those old backsliders. If you start talking to a person like that, The more you question them, the more you find out that nothing ever changed in their life. To hear them pray today is to have heard them pray 20 years ago. To look at their giving today is to look at their giving 20 years ago. To look at their Bible study and devotional life is to look at their Bible study and devotional life 20 years ago. I'll tell you what, friends, their problem is not that they backslid. Their problem is they never frontslid. You say, is that right, preacher? 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, these people went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have remained with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they weren't all of us. And a Greek grammarian would tell you that that's what's called, it's a big word, a high dollar word, an ablative of source. That means they were not out of the same source cut out of the same cut of cloth as we. That's the problem. Never truly born again when you meet the lord jesus christ it will mark a specific turning point in your behavior one final thing this morning about your experience with christ your experience with christ should reveal what i want to call the sovereign grace of god your experience with christ should reveal the sovereign Grace of God. Notice what he says as I continue. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, who was in charge of his salvation? It was God who called me by his grace. Who called? God called by his grace to reveal his son in me. He said, this didn't come from me. This wasn't born out of me. God did this as an act of His sovereign grace. We often quote Revelation 3, 20, that word of the Lord Jesus to the church. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. What I want you to notice there is that Jesus takes the initiative. It is Jesus that is standing at the door and knocking. It is Jesus who is saying to you before you even know how, knew how to say the name Jesus, I love you so much I have already died for you. An old man was asked one time, he said, what, what part did you have in your salvation? We, we see a change in your life. He said, well, what part did I have in my salvation? He said, let's see. He said, I ran from God. Well, what else? Well, I ran from him some more. Well, what else did you? Well, I just ran from him. Well, tell me, no, tell me about your part. Well, I, I ran and ran and ran. No, your part. Well, I ran. No, I'm talking about what did you do to get saved? I ran. He said, well, what was God's part? God's part was that he caught me by his grace. Now, friends, that's the way it is. And if what you call your experience with Christ majors on what you did, what you said, what you thought, how you felt, I remember one time someone called me and they said, Brother Tom, I just wanted to call and thank you. I said, well, I, you know, I always appreciate being thanked. Uh, it'd help me, though, if you'd tell me for what. He said, well, I want to thank you. <clears throat> and, and, you know, the person was just as sincere and, and just a wrong use of words because I think I knew what he meant. In fact, I had to straighten him out. But, but when he said this, cold chills ran up and down my back. It scared me to death. He said, I want to thank you for saving me. I said, hey, listen, I might have been there when you got saved, but I didn't, couldn't ever save you. Dwight L. Moody was walking through a town one time where years earlier he had preached a crusade. There was a man on the street who was drunk, and Moody's heart was moved to witness to him, and he said, oh, he said, I'm a Christian. He said, I'm one of Moody's converts several years back. He said, it's obvious you're one of my converts. I'm Dwight L. Moody. But I'll tell you what else is obvious. It's obvious you're not one of his converts because of the way you're living. Now, friend, your experience with Christ should major on what he did. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me, he did, by his grace to reveal Christ in me. He did it. If you have to say about your experience with Christ, well, I would tell you what, I was so terrible, I tell you, but I was smart enough, I turned to Jesus, I went down the aisle, that's my experience with Christ, I prayed the prayer. That's your experience, but it's not with Christ. Because an experience with Christ majors, points to, emphasizes, it reveals the sovereign grace of God. Well, that's enough of this message for this morning, the balance this evening in our worship service. But dear friend, let me ask you about your experience with Christ. Have you had an experience with Christ? You can. Just a few moments, we're going to stand together. Our choir is going to lead us this morning. We're going to sing that familiar hymn of invitation. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, Lamb of God, I come. And if your heart's desire is to have an experience with Christ when you repent of your sin and turn in faith to Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want to urge you to make your way down an aisle. There'll be counselors down here. They'll go with you to a quiet counseling room right off to the side here. Share with you, pray with you, give you some information to help you grow in your faith. And in a matter of minutes, you can walk away from that place knowing that you have had a genuine experience with Christ, that you have eternal life, that all of your sins, whatever they are, are forgiven. They are under the blood, you're washed clean, and He will live within you forever. That can be your experience with Christ. Now, others will be coming. There are people here this morning, some families who want to come and join this church. Others of you as singles who want to become a part of this church. These students, many of them, one of the most wonderful things is that when they come to town to go to school, just for those nine months, they transfer their membership to this church, come under the watch care of this church, and begin to grow in their faith. What a testimony of their love for God. So students, we invite you to come this morning. Young people, teenagers, and urge you to come and be a part of this church family could be that your heart's desire is to openly confess your faith through the symbol of baptism, as you saw earlier in this service and in every service where people who say, I've trusted Christ, I want the world to know it. It could be that you want to come and just simply kneel at this altar and pray with thanking God for your experience in Christ. This is your moment to say yes to the Lord. I'm going to lead us in prayer. The moment I say amen, we're going to stand. We'll begin singing that hymn with the choir. And as we stand, why don't you just make up your mind that just as a part of the act of standing, that you'll just step to the aisle without reservation. Make your way forward. Come be a part of this church. Come be a part of the family of God, trusting in Christ as your Savior. Father in heaven, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit now will take what has been preached, what has been said. Take your word, speak directly to the heart of each person here. Lord, I pray that anyone here who's never had an experience with Christ Been born into your family would come this morning and say, that's what I want more than anything, to satisfy the need of my life for salvation. Only Jesus died for my sins. Only Jesus rose from the grave. Only Christ can save me. I come to give my life to him, to surrender to his lordship and control in my life. Father, I pray many would make that decision. Others would come to be a part of this church. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's all begin singing. Every believer in Christ praying, Lord, your will be done this morning as we begin singing. That's it. God bless you, dear lady. Spokes are coming, you t-